Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. And thank you, church family, for being here today as we gather to celebrate the coming of our Savior and was thinking, uh, and thanks, uh, Kimmy Howard and, and uh, Shelly Harold West and others who have cr- turned this house Christmas beautiful. Appreciate that. But uh, thinking just the gift of being together and what happens when we gather as a church family and, and just so neat, isn't it? As you go throughout your everyday life, sometimes you get out there and you feel alone, a bit alone in your faith, and, and it can be a battle. Can, but gathering on Sunday with with our, those we love in Christ and those who love Christ and have responded to His love, we look into each other's eyes and what do we see? We see the love of God for each other, but we also see the lights of heaven as we fix our eyes on, on the hope that we have. And Christmas time being one of those times that really this, we're, we're looking forward to the second Advent. But uh, isn't it cool just to gather and um, remind each other and I think God works in that, doesn't he? And so thank you for being here today. If you don't have a church family, we would love to have you worship with us and are so glad that, that you're here today. Well, you know, the image that has been coming to my mind as, I, as we approach the Christmas season and throughout the Christmas season is the picture of that guy who finds the treasure in a field and in his joy, he buries it, goes, sells everything he has, And then with the money that he got from selling all that he had, he buys the field. And the thing that just keeps jumping out to me is in his joy. Like he's jumping with joy to sell all his stuff to buy this field. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is a treasure so valuable that when you get the value of it, it's your joy to sell everything to seize this treasure. To which we say, okay, what is the treasure that he's talking about? And we could say it many different ways, but I love the way Jesus just summarizes it and and sticks it. In, In John chapter 14, verse 23, listen to this. He says, he's talking to his disciples, anyone who loves me, and he's assuming this love relationship, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Did you hear what I just heard? (laughs) That's crazy big. If that's true, the living God will come and make His home, His abode, His dwelling with the one. And he gives a couple conditions with the one who loves him. So there's a love relationship that's happening, and we know we'll we'll talk more about that that happens through faith in Christ. It's a love relationship, and what does love do? Love leads to obedience. So so this goes beyond just a belief that, okay, I I know God exists, but it's, it's, we want to please him. We want to serve him. I was, and it's interesting, the word he uses several times in this conversation with the disciples in John 13 to 17, 
Jesus says, if you, keep my, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And he uses the word command. That's not the word he uses here. This is the word lagon. It's singular. It's you will keep my word. The one who loves me will keep my word. Meaning, when we love him, we don't have to have him command us, do we? All we need to do is hear him say a word and we're getting it done. I was thinking, I do this very imperfectly in my, our marriage relationship, but I had a good moment one late this week that illustrated in my mind where Tam and I were talking one evening, and she said, my car's on empty. And I was like, when she left to do something, I went and I, I filled her car up. She didn't command me. She didn't ask me even. What was moving me to go fill that car up? It was, I love this girl, and I don't want her out in the dark, cold, filling up the car. If you love me, you will keep my command. This is the relationship we have. And do we love the Lord perfectly or keep his commands perfectly? No. But it's the process, and it's the heart that God looks at. And if we do, and as we do, as we live out this love relationship, what's he promised us? The precious treasure of his presence now this isn't just heaven then and there and when we die this is he's going to come make his home with us and and so as I think about the gift of Christmas and what Christ came to give us this picture this house over here if that could just represent um, we're going to unpack this and, and step into this treasure of dwelling with the Lord this Christmas season and so excited for, for um, what he's going to do in our hearts, but I hope it will be a, a series, a message series, and a truth that will sink deep and then really lead us in a, a prayer path for the rest of our lives. Think about home, and home is, is what? Home is that place you go and you're tired almost every day, unless you, you travel. You end up back at home, don't you? And it's where you uh, land on that bed that you're so thankful is your own bed, your own pillow. You rest. Home is the place where you get nourishment. We, we love our fridge and uh, opening up to see that uh, snack that we need and we fill up. But what makes home the treasure that, that, uh, that satisfies the deep needs of our heart are the people there that we love, right? And as the Lord uses the word home, I think of the words of Augustine, who he said, Thou hast, speaking of the Lord, Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in Thee. When God promises to make His home with us, He's promising to satisfy the deepest longing of every human heart, and that's relationship with the perfect love and with Him. When God makes His home with us, we are home at last, aren't we? And here on this earth, I know as we come to the holiday seasons, I was just talking with Gail before the service, and losing loved ones, and uh, home, our homes are not perfect, are they? And relationships are not perfect, and the fractures within our homes often make this season especially hard. But here's the, the hope and the comfort, you guys, is that as we experience the home that God experienced promises us through this his presence we can experience home even when our homes here are are not what we would hope they would be and so we're going to step into this today this Christmas season we're going to follow a path and it's a prayer path into the presence of our Lord 
It's a path that you can take every day that you meet with Him, the daily meeting that we, we start the day with, and then it's a path you can follow throughout the day as you have conversation with Him. There are four checkpoints in this path, and often when we think about prayer, we think about what we're going to say to God. But what I love about this path, and this is a path that I, I practiced especially this summer while on sabbatical, and I would spend um, an extended amount of time just in His presence, and it was a treasure that... Uh, that I thought, I want to share this with my faith family. So this is um, coming out of that time. But it, it's, it's not a, a prayer path that, that is focused on what we say, but rather we behold, as Wes said, we behold who God is, and our prayer flows out of that, out of who He is, out of how He relates to us and how He has blessed us in four specific ways. And each Sunday for the next four weeks, we're going to look at one specific way that... that he relates to us, has blessed us, and then our prayer, our conversation with Him flows out of that sweet, sweet reality. All right? Does that make sense? So, so we don't start the conversation as we enter the presence of the Lord, and as He makes His home with us, we look to Him as, and today we're going to look to Him as our Savior. Who is this one who promises to make his home with us? And don't you love it? The night that uh, the, shep the uh, angels appear to the shepherds. And how do they describe him? They're in Luke. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Who is this one who promises to make his home with us? He is our Savior. He came to earth to take on humanity, to rescue, to redeem, to save us from the penalty and the power of sin. And so as we meet with Him as our Savior, the, uh, there's a response that is fitting, and we'll look at four truths that, that flow out of a, a prayer, Psalm 130, and then four fitting responses to him as we meet with him as our Savior. So if you would join me in Psalm 130. It's a psalm that, that answers the question, who is the Savior who promises to make his home with us? And it will lead us to those four fitting responses to him. Psalm 130. Scholars think that uh, it's probably David who is writing this psalm, and, and we'll just Get started here, verses 1 and 2. David writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for, for mercy. And so who is this Savior who promises to make his home with us? First truth that we know about him, he, is, he hears my cry for help and is strong to lift me up. As we read these first two verses, we, we feel the intensity of really the pain of what the psalmist is, is experiencing in his life. The words there are, out of the depths I cry to you. And he's crying for mercy. You, you can feel the, uh, the pain of, of, you know, there's moments in life when we're up here, but then quickly, how quick is, can life turn? And, and you're down here, you're struggling through a depth or through a pit or through a, a valley season of life. You think about the valleys that we experience or the, the depths that we experience, whether it's the loss of, of something that we love or someone we love, whether it's a, a disease that, that we're processing through, 
whether it's a, a relational issue that, that's, that's been fractured, whether it's a, a, a financial issue or a, or a job situation that we're struggling through. And today, um, I know we're all probably, we have some depth that we're, we're working through or some valley that we're working through. And as we come to the Lord in prayer, looking to Him as our Savior, what do we know to be true? So as you meet with Him in your daily prayer time and kneel before Him, who are we looking at? And we are looking at our Savior who hears our cry for help and is attentive when we cry out for mercy. I, I picture a mom or a dad when you hear the cry of your kid in the middle of the night, and I should I say dad, I think moms are probably way better at this than dads, but, uh, <laughs> but our God, does he ever not hear you when you cry for help? And he is so faithful. When, when we cry for help, Lord, I'm in a valley and I don't know how to get through this or I'm struggling with this, our Savior is faithful to hear our cry for help. What a treasure. I love the moment that uh, we, when God becomes flesh, when Jesus is here and he's walking along, he's uh, headed towards Jericho and there's this blind beggar at the edge of the city crying for mercy, crying for help. And do you remember the people that are trying to get Jesus to where he's going and keep him focused on mission? They, they rebuke this guy and they say, stop crying for help. And um, Jesus' response to this is, is uh, powerful. Over in Luke chapter 18, verse 33, it says, the, uh, or 39, I'm sorry, those who, who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me was his prayer. Great prayer for us to pray. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? If you think about your own life today, and that question being asked the Savior, the one who is strong, not, or faithful to hear us, but strong to help us, asking that question, what, what would you say in whatever valley you may be in, what do you want me to do for you today? And I think about what that blind guy could have asked. He's a beggar. Lord, I need a meal, or, or I need a year's supply of meals, or could you give me a, a lifetime of meals, or I need a place to stay, I need a home, whatever. He goes big, though. What do you want me to do for you today? And what's he say? Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God as well. As we kneel before our Savior, knowing that he hears our cry for help and is strong to lift us up, what's our fitting response? What's the action step that flows out of this? And as we meet with him as our Savior, it's pretty simple. It's to cry for help. And I know this is somewhat, in, we, we know this, and it, it's somewhat intuitive. But have you noticed there's a tendency to try to fix things on our own? And then it takes a while between the time we hit a valley, hit a problem, to the time we actually cry for help. There's a gap, at least I experienced that in my life this summer it hit me in a very vivid way as for about a week I was struggling with an issue that was creating 
soul, tension in my soul and just frustration. It wasn't a huge issue, but it was this mini problem that I couldn't fix. And all week long, it's messing with my joy and my peace. Man, and, and just frustrated about this and left me waking up on the wrong side of the, the bed and just um, messed with me. Went to worship on Sunday and at College Park, and it was like the pastor was preaching right at me. And I, don't you love how God gives you that daily manna that you need often as we come together and worship? And, and it, it was right at me. He was speaking right into the issue that I had uh, I'd been wrestling with all week. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And then the Lord whispered to me, John, had, did you talk to me about this at all this week? <laughs> I'm like, here I am the whole week trying to fix this problem. And I never went to the Savior. The Savior, the one who hears my cry for help and is strong to reach down and lift me up out of this problem, all week long I'm wrestling in my own strength when they're in the same room. The one who promises to make his home with me sitting in the room and I'm frustrated and soul tweaked out of shape all week long because I wouldn't cry for help. And man, it lit me up. My goal is to shrink the gap between the time the problem arrives and my cry for help goes up. (laughs) Isn't that good? Um, The Savior. As we meet with Him as our Savior, He is waiting. He's attentive and He's strong to lift us up. So that's the first truth that moves us into a a fitting response. By the way, prayer. I heard Tim Keller uh, gave this quote and I'm giving a paraphrase of it. But when we pray... God is faithful to answer our prayer exactly the way we would want him to answer the prayer if we knew what he knows. Does that make sense? So sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer that we, in the way we like. Why? Because we don't have the wisdom of, of his perspective. And so, you know, I thought that was a, a good way of, of uh, as we go to him for help, he is faithful to help us, but I'm not always in the way that we understand. All right. Who is this Savior who promises to make his home with us? Next, in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 130, the psalmist writes, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. Truth, too, as we, as we kneel before the, our Lord as Savior, is that he is faithful to forgive us, our sin, so that we can serve him. Here the songwriter is reflecting on the reality that our deepest problem or our biggest problem is our depravity or, or our sin, the ways which we, we have uh, chosen to do our will over God's will. And what is it that creates a lack of intimacy or creates distance, disintegrates our relationship with God and really our relationship with, with those around us And it's the sin in us. It's wanting our will. It's putting self first. It's our guilt and our shame that that come from unconfessed sin. And he says, Lord, if you kept a record of sin, who could stand? And you know, stop and, and you just start thinking, what if God kept a list of all the ways that we we sinned against him? Sins of, you know, Commission, things that we do that are not right, things that we may have said against somebody, or, or, and then sins of omission, things that we should have done that we don't do, and 
not being thankful for the things that he's given us or, you know, not a, a, a prideful thought and not, not seeking his glory, instead seeking my own glory. And, and you just start listing these and who could stand before him? And none of us could. We've all sinned and, and one sin before him is, is worthy of, before his holiness, it's worthy of death. But yeah, we do not deserve to stand in his presence. And you just feel that that is our biggest problem. But here comes the good news. And the psalmist, as he kneels with this, as we kneel with our Savior, what do we know about him? That he is faithful to forgive us so that we can serve him. Not only does he forgive us, but he, he puts us in the game and um, allows us to, to have a purpose and, and a part to play as he does what he does. But the, uh, the picture here is uh, of his forgiving grace. Who is the Savior who makes his home with us? He is faithful to forgive us. We, uh, we know that our forgiveness is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus came to earth, as Wes reminded us, took our sin upon himself, died on the cross, and through faith in him we receive forgiveness, which means we are declared righteous before God, right before God. All of our sin, past, present, future, has been paid for through what Christ did for us. And our hope is not in our righteousness or in our doing right things or somehow making amends for the wrong things we've done, but in Christ alone. And this is why he came. This is why he came on that Christmas and took on humanity was to provide a way for our sin to be forgiven. It's why we come to him and worship. And and what a gift. This summer I had the opportunity to job shadow uh, Andrea Neighbors and spend a day with her in the, she's a prosecutor here in Hendricks County, and it, you talk about my eyes just being opened and rocked with uh, the gift that all of those who serve in the, the, our uh, system of justice provide for our community and really our country and holding the fabric of, of our, uh, our country together through law and through justice. And we uh, met with Judge Zelensky before the day began and he explained some things, and then we went out into the courtroom, and I sat on that bench behind Andrea and where the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the legal team would sit, and the lawyers would come in and, and sit back there on the bench. Probably about half a dozen lawyers were coming in, coming out, as various people would come in and have their, their, uh, their case heard, and we, we heard probably like 40, plus 40, 50 of these cases. Many of them were continuances where, where uh, you know, it would be pushed off to another date. But as I'm sitting back there behind them, I'm, I'm trying to fill the moment and really feel what each person coming in who's um, guilty of something is feeling. And I've got, you know, trying to experience what Andrea is experiencing, but also I've got my pastor hat on. So I'm praying for these people. Some are prisoners coming in chained and they, they walk in and every one who, who sat there before the judge had to admit their guilt. The judge said, they're in front of everybody, and there's family members in this, there's all these lawyers, there's felt like about 50 people in the courtroom. The judge said, are you guilty of this? And that person had to say out loud, yes, I committed that crime. And then the judge would read the rights. Okay, this is your rights, but here's my sentence. Do you understand this? Yes. And I mean, you talk about 
guilt and shame. And it was horrible. And by about 20, I started having this, um, I didn't expect it, but I started having like a mini panic attack over my own guilt before God. I'm like, you know, as these people are having to say their guilt before everybody, I'm guilty of a lot of things before God. I mean, I've got all this stuff, and he has a record of it, and and it was just, and then um, to pull myself up out of the panic attack, and uh, I looked, I just started focusing on the lawyer sitting next to the, the person who was guilty. And every person, almost every person had a lawyer who was standing there as their advocate. They know the law. And they would argue on behalf of this person. And here's the thought I thought. I have a lawyer. I have an advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he loves me. And even today as I still sin, he lives to make intercession for me with the Father. And and what he's pleading is not my goodness, but his goodness and what he did for me on the cross. But then here's what hit me, you guys. Our lawyer, our advocate did what no lawyer or advocate does in the courtrooms of our, our country. He took our penalty. He took our hell. He took our sentence and said, punish me. Judge, punish me. And he both judge. And both the one who makes it possible for us to be forgiven did this out of love for you and me. And he is the one who says, I will make my home with you. You guys, as we kneel in prayer before the Lord each day, do you see his scars? This is the one who loves you. You get that little voice, you don't deserve this, or you're being punished, or can God really forgive you or love you? And see your Savior, see our Savior, crucified, taking our sin for us so that we might be forever forgiven. And don't you love our our Lord? I I love the way that, uh, like, it's not His, He's not a begrudging advocate for us, but He delights in this, forgiving us. And that day, that back to the, the blind beggar, Luke tells the story about the beggar, but immediately as he goes into Jerusalem, he tells another story, which I can't help but think God through Luke is hinting to us, the blind guy missed it. The blind guy missed it. He asked too small. Who was standing before him saying, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> the blind guy said, I want to receive my sight. But what could he have asked? I want to see forever. Because he's going to lose his sight again in 50 years when he dies. But the one standing before him could give him a new heart, which would give him a new relationship with the living God, which I think happened through faith. But what's the next story he tells us? Jesus tells us. He goes into the town, and there's a little guy up in a tree, Zacchaeus, who was a bad man, bad heart, greed-infested heart. But Zacchaeus looked to Jesus by faith, and we, we can assume um, began following him as Lord. His soul moves from greed-infested to radically generous. How? Through what Christ did for him. He had, they're having a dinner, and the religious leaders are like, why are you having a dinner at Zacchaeus' house? And do you remember what Jesus tells him? 
And here's where we see the heart of our Savior. Luke chapter uh, 19, verse 8. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. And here it comes. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The heart of our God, He is passionate to forgive you and me. Isn't that awesome to think about? It's His passion. It's why He came. He says, for the Son of Man came. Why did He come as a baby to Bethlehem? It's to seek, like to to go out looking for, and to save. Like to redeem, to rescue, to, to, to not just give us to heal our cancer today, but to save our soul for eternity. Lost people, people who are wandering from Him, people who don't deserve it, people who are broken and messed up and all of that. This is our God, this is our Savior, and this is the one we get to kneel and talk to every day of our life, the one who came and makes His home with us. How good do we have it? I don't know about you, but I got lit up, and this is another message, but when you kneel with him and realize that this is his passion to see me forgiven, it makes me want to go out and seek and save some lost people, right? Like, who am I going after? Am I just content to hang out in this holy huddle, or am I being incarnation, like going out and finding some broken people who who are lost and saying, we've got a Savior That's Christmas, right? And as Wes was talking about Christmas Eve, who are the people in our lives that we could just say, hey, come, you got to meet this one who who has uh, given us all of this. Who is this Savior who promises to make his home with us? We read on in verses uh, 5 and 6 of Psalm 130. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. It's a picture of when you're in a battle, you'd have some watchmen who are watching out for the enemy and you just can't wait till morning comes. He says, more than watchmen wait for the morning. It's how I'm I'm waiting for the Lord. This third truth is that he is faithful to keep his promise. The psalmist says, you know, in my times of waiting, I'm putting my hope and the promise of God in His Word. Right now, as followers of Christ, I, I know I don't have to tell, tell us that we're not home yet. You know, we're in the wait, aren't we? We are citizens of heaven. Home is coming. But we're living in this dark place that, you say, why the suffering in the world? The suffering entered this world when sin entered this world and fractured all that God created to be good. Fractured us down to our DNA, where disease, and fractured us down to our psyche, where we have mental issues, and, and our, as sin, we all struggle with sin, which leads to a, a fracturing of our relationships, and then we also experience um, the sinful choices of others, and some of those are just, seem so random that other people will choose to do wrong, and we suffer for that, and that's where we live right now. So how do we live with hope? And and this is where the psalmist is at. This is a psalm of exile. um, Israel is not home where they want to be. And um, how do we 
do life with hope when we're not home yet. And here it is, guys. It's the promise of God. It's His Word. And the fitting response then is, what promise are we holding on to? What's the word that that you're holding on to? Whatever depth that you're in today, whatever valley you're in, to try to get through that valley without a word of hope from the Lord is is to be stuck. But, But what's Isaiah say? Those who hope in the Lord, if we will grab a promise, pick your promise. If you read John 13 to 17, it is a treasury of promises. I mean... The start of chapter 14, Jesus said, hey, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. But if I go away, I'm coming back. So pick your promise. Other times he promises the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help us. Pick your promise. But I will put my hope in the Lord, he's saying. And so as we kneel before the Lord as our Savior, what do we know about this one? This we know. He's going to keep his word. He's strong. And when we doubt it, we look to the scars in his hands and know, If he went to the cross for me, he's going to keep his word. He's going to keep his promise. So what's the promise that I'm hanging on to? The promise through this Christmas season, I think, for for my own heart I'm hanging on to is this one in John 14, 23, where Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my my, my, uh, word, and my Father will love you, and I'm going to make my home with you. And I'm seeking to live in this reality that He's made his home with us. How has he done that? Through his Holy Spirit. As he's given us the, uh, the Spirit to indwell. But, but what's the promise? And then the fourth truth. Who is this Savior who makes his home with us? We looked at verses 7 and 8 of uh, Psalm 130. Verse 7 says, Israel. And when he says Israel, he's speaking to God's covenant communi- community. For us today... Who's the covenant community? It's it's Israel and the church, those who have trusted Christ as our Savior. So that this applies to us. Israel, church, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is 98% redemption. (laughs) No, with him is full redemption. And who's going to do this redeeming? I love this part of this verse. Is God going to send an angel to go do this? Gabriel, would you go do my work of redeeming? Or uh, I'm going to raise up somebody like Moses to go redeem people from their sin. No, who's going to do this redeeming? He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And how do we know this happened? It, it, it happened. Story plays out as Jesus himself takes on humanity comes as a baby to live the perfect life, to die for us, to redeem us, to rescue us from all of our sin. But this redemption story is still playing out, right? And so the truth here is, um, as we come and kneel before the Lord as our Savior, remember this, His love is constant. His His redemption is complete. And that our fitting response is simply this, is to celebrate our salvation that has begun, will continue into eternity. Say, um, have, have we been fully redeemed yet? And the answer to that, Ephesians 1 fleshes this out with, no, we're not there yet. The, uh, pr- this process of salvation, there, there's justification where all our sin has been atoned for and has been forgiven. That's justification. We are positionally righteous before God. 
in that sense, we have been fully redeemed, but in a sense, we have not been fully redeemed in that we still struggle and we're still becoming like Christ, and this is sanctification. God's in the process of redeeming us and helping us become more like Christ and making us more useful to Him and, and uh, bringing Him glory, that one day, and this is the, the third phase of salvation or redemption, is the glorification when we will be with Christ and He will redeem us fully. Anybody else looking forward to that day? <laughs> and that's second advent, that's Christmas round two, when uh, we will be up and out of this dark place and waking up to uh, resurrection morning. He himself will redeem Israel and all those who call on him by faith from all their sins. Who is this Savior who promises to make us, promises to uh, make his home with us? He is the one who is faithful to see us safely home. He will see us safely home, fully redeemed. So one dark night in Bethlehem, an angel appeared to the shepherds out in that field, and the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 33 years later, just before Jesus takes our sin to the cross, he huddles with those who are following him by faith, who love him, and he gives them this precious promise. If you love me, you'll obey my word. My Father will love you, and we will come and make our home with you. Who is this who promises to make his home with us? He is our Savior. And this week and this season, as you meet with him in prayer, may I encourage you just to picture as you just, and maybe even literally just kneel before him and see his, the scars in his hands and his side and his feet. Picture the cross and remember who he is. And maybe even use Psalm 130 as a template just to talk with him. Remember that he is attentive to your cry for help. Cry out whatever it is that is Troubling you or whatever depth that you're in, cry to him for help. Then uh, confess. If there was one word to put over this, this uh, prayer path that we're taking, it's confession, where we confess what's wrong, where we've done him wrong. And I, Psalm 139 says, Lord, search my heart, know my heart, and if there's anything that's offensive to you, lead me in the way of everlasting. And this is that confession that leads to healing, that leads to intimacy, that leads to joy. And just confess before him. Cry, confess, and then claim a promise that, that this Savior, he's going to keep it. And then celebrate your salvation. And I'm telling you, it, it's a, uh, it's a, it becomes a, a place of joy, doesn't it? As we kneel before our Savior, we cry for help. We confess our sin. We claim his promise. And then we celebrate our salvation. And you Get up and we go. But there's another step to take we'll, we'll get to next week. But let's just kneel before him now as our worship team comes. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this incredible promise that, that you have made your home with us. Jesus, as we Kneel in your presence as our Savior. We thank you that you are faithful to hear our cry. And we, 
We just cry to you now in your own words or in silently. Just ask the Lord what you need help with. Thank you that you're attentive to our cry for help. Father, we ask, Jesus, we ask that you would cleanse us. We confess our sin to you. Forgive us for the ways that we've wandered from your side. And thank you for the possibility of being fully forgiven. We claim the promise in 1 John 1, 9 that, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, we claim your promise and thank you so much for the promises that you have given us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for the promise of of, uh, making your home with us. And then, Lord, we celebrate our salvation. We thank you that you have saved us, you are saving us, and one day our redemption will be complete. And as we move through this Christmas season, Lord, we fix our eyes on that day. We worship you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.